Loving Father in heaven, how grateful we are for your love, your care, and we know that in this world there is sin, and in the church there are sinful people, and we all struggle against the enemy, and in some cases the enemy gets control of people, and that can turn around and become very detrimental to your church. So we're talking here about what we can do and steps we can take in order to be able to allow your spirit to be working in our churches again as he would desire to. We want to be faithful in our duties, especially as leaders. We pray that today your Holy Spirit will guide our discussion in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to make sure you have the class materials. And I do have materials from the past as well as from the materials from the present. Pardon? Uh, the deaconess class was at... Uh, 9.30 this morning, and the next one will be at 9.30 tomorrow morning. Oh. Okay? Sorry. <laughs> I know it's confusing. Even I've been confused. So, And I teach the class. So, <laughs> All right. Anybody need part three? One we just handed out? Okay. Here's today's part. All right. All right, we're going to get started here and uh, take on. Now, let me, let me say something. At this point in the week, you're going to begin to notice a pattern. What is the pattern, Joe? You're smiling. Well, I've read the, already read the front page. Okay. And that pattern is there's some repetition in what we're doing. And I want you to understand that this is a biblical principle. The biblical principle is repeat and enlarge, repeat and enlarge. I don't claim to be a prophet by any means, but if God can use that as a way for us to learn and develop the tools and the skills that he wants us to learn, I believe it's one that we can do too. Now, I take a certain risk in that, and that, that risk is that you might get say, wait a minute, I'm, I, I'm kind of repeating here, but you are repeating but we're also enlarging as we go and dealing with different aspects of these problems that come up. For example, tomorrow we're going to be talking about handling conflict because as we said yesterday, as we'll talk today, when you get into these situations in depth, you will get into conflict. When you start to get situations like what we talked about uh, in, this, in uh, yesterday and that we will talk about today, these kinds of experiences, as they begin to develop, it's interesting to go to talk to people who are walking down a sinful path, and they've got to make a decision. The decision they have to make is, is the path I'm walking the right one or the wrong one? If they are convinced it's the wrong one, then the journey can take a certain direction. But if they're convinced it's the right one, even though we know it's the wrong one, because the Bible makes it abundantly clear it's the wrong one, you now have a conflict, and that person has a conflict, because that person has decided it's the right road to go down, and that's the one they intend to walk, and now you've got to get into conflict with them, convincing them that what they think is right is actually wrong. 
And only the Spirit of God can do that. But when people are determined to do that, it's going to bring about some kind of conflict eventually. That's just reality. That's where it's going to be. So today we're going to take uh, another step forward in the concept of uh, uh, redemptive discipline. I'm not going to break you into groups today. We're going to just talk uh, for a few moments about uh, the same scenario, but we're going to twist that scenario a little bit because people are all different. How many of you come from a church of uh, 50 members or less? 50 members or less, all right. How many of you come from a church 50 to 100 members? Okay, 50 to 100. How many of you come from a church larger than 100 members? Okay, all right, let me back down that for a moment. 100 to 300. Okay, um, 300 to 700. Okay, all right, I think I'm getting the scope of the land, and since I know some of you, I know where we're talking about. All right, okay, we get that. Um, so you see that there's a broad spectrum here, all, all the way from churches under 50 to over 300 members are represented here. I don't care how small your church is, you're going to run into this problem somewhere along the line, uh, unless something's going on in your church that would surprise me. But I like to be surprised, so that's okay. That's not a problem. I'm happy to, happy to be surprised. <laughs> in what regard? That I can't explain. Other than the fact that churches are made up of human beings, and human beings that are wanting to follow the direction that the Lord has outlined are one thing, but there are sometimes those who are choosing to go a different direction. And let me tell you, one of the challenges we face today is there's a broad spectrum of what people think a Seventh-day Adventist is. I believe there's a very narrow spectrum of what God expects of a Seventh-day Adventist. Amen. But there's a broad spectrum of what people think a Seventh-day Adventist church is and what it's like and what to expect from it. And as a consequence, there are the titles, these, these labels that are used of conservative and, and liberal and whatever people attach to it. But what you and I want to be is simply faithful. We want to be faithful to doing what the Lord Jesus has asked us to do. And one of the challenges is that as people today are wrestling with these things, you know, let, let, let me, let's try to put everything on the table so we can begin to understand this. There was a day when you and I would not even be having some of the conversations that, that in the last year or two we're having to face. Would we ever have had a discussion, and, and God loves everybody, right? He loves everybody. He died for everybody. But God does not love everybody's sin, and He holds sinners responsible for the decisions they make. God loves those who are caught up in the LGBTQ whatever world. It seems like every day I wake up, they've added another letter to that list. Um, and the whole uh, homosexual agenda and bisexual agenda and all the other elements, all of those elements are out there today that, you know, when I would grow up in school, yeah, you heard about this in a derogatory way, but you never heard about it being a direct issue in relationship to the church. 
But today, you and I are finding that it is directly impacting the church. It's affecting our universities. It's affecting our young people in a very real way. Young people today, you know, you and I grew up in a day when society looked negatively on, on, uh, on certain things in the world. But just as in Sodom and Gomorrah, over a period of time, society began to agree to those things, and that's exactly what's happened in the world today. The world now accepted these things, and we have young people that have grown up in the same world, and now instead of these young people saying, well, this is what the Bible teaches, they are struggling with what people are telling them scientists say, and all of that, and sin is no longer sin according to the Bible, because everybody is made this way and we can't do anything about it. So they say. And as the young people grow up, they're trying to wrestle with this. And if the Bible is not the focal point of their lives and their study, and they're getting their information out of science or society, they're losing the perspective of what God wants. And that creates problems for us in the church. Why would there be any difference in the Seventh-day Adventist church? Only because not everybody is choosing to stay faithful to the Word of God. That's the challenge we have. Please. Now, this is a hypothetical situation, correct? In other words, it, it doesn't really exist in any of our churches like that, right? Not, not many of them, no. Okay. All right, let me answer your question this way. Here's what I want to do today to give you a little bit of an idea. We're going to repeat and enlarge. I'm going to spend less time repeating and more time enlarging. But what I want to do in that enlarging process is I want to remove, move from the hypothetical to the real. I want to deal with the kinds of challenges that you're facing in your church in the real world today and how we as Christians need to be able to address some of those specific ones. And so that's where I'm going today and tomorrow. And I've got some tools that we're going to use in order to help us with that. All right. So let's uh, let's go with this. We hope. We hope. And God doesn't want it to be. And that's why we're having this class, because that's what God wants to do to keep it from being that way. Okay. Absolutely. And, you know, the class that... Are any of you in my previous class? I, you know, I, I can't keep track of everybody. In that class, we're talking about preparation for the final crisis. In that, in that scenario, the kinds of things that we're seeing and what's ahead of us, my discussion tomorrow is on the shaking. And the, what the church is about to experience, what's just in front of the church, is going to take your breath away. Because the devil is working hard and the Lord is fighting against him. And uh, there is a great controversy going on. You ever heard that term before? Yes. Uh, the only difference is it's getting more and more real. And it's no longer just a book. It's a reality that you and I are living and all the things that were outlined there are showing up in our, in our churches and showing up in our lives and showing up in our world. And it's a real part of that. Okay, I'm going to go to our project here. It's a small group project number two. And that's mainly because on the first time we didn't do that as small groups the first time. And we're going to, uh, we're going to look at it again, but we're going to do it. I already said we'd do it as a group here. I'm not going to go through all the details because you know what? You've already got those details pretty well memorized where the instructions are here. It's a hypothetical situation. There's Mr. B and Mrs. B. She's not an, she's not an Adventist. He's a leader in the church. 
But I want you to look at those steps, and we're going to look at the steps that are already taken, and this is a modification on that. And I just want to get your mind again thinking about what happens in people's lives before we apply some of these principles in our class today. The steps already taken are this. You arranged a visit with Mr. B alone. Upon arrival at the home, Mr. B appeared embarrassed and quiet. After prayer, you discussed with him the situation you had been informed about and asked him what you could do to help if it was true. Sounding familiar, isn't it? Without any defensiveness, he acknowledged that he'd been intimate with another woman for some time and that he'd been living with a heavy load of guilt. He even appeared relieved to talk about it. You had no knowledge of any other church members who were aware of the situation. After discussion, he agreed to break off the relationship and seek counseling from him and for him and his wife, which she agreed to. He indicated he needed one month to work out the details. After prayer, you left. But after a month, Mrs. B, uh, Mr. B's wife called you again and told you that her husband had not fulfilled his promise, and she believed the illicit relationship was continuing. We were here at this point yesterday as well. You arrange a visit, sorry about the spelling there, arrange a visit with Mr. B alone with you and two of the other elders. Upon arrival at the home, Mr. B appears strangely withdrawn. After prayer, you discussed with him the situation and asked him what you could do to help. Almost immediately, he begins to lash out at his wife and you for bringing someone else from the church. He defends his conduct and tells you that you don't know his wife. He jumps the gun and boldly states that he will not voluntarily resign because he does not believe it is all that bad. All right, that's the scenario that we left off with yesterday. Remember, that's what we, we played that scenario back, and you came up with some ideas and some direction. But what we were looking for yesterday was what is the next step in relationship to what we do. And one of the things that we were working on yesterday was could there be another step before taking it to the church board and to the church and business session? And so what we did is we outlined for you a process by which the church could work with a board of elders and not have to confront this in an open way yet because there might still be some dynamics. You want to work with an individual as long as you can see the possibility of change and a willingness in that individual's life and heart to make a change. And so the suggestion that we came up with is that you could institute uh, within the board of elders the opportunity to establish a period of grace. So today we're going to take this scenario and say that what we applied in our class yesterday has been applied. You with me? And that's the step that we're taking farther. He has now, this, the situation has been taken to the, to the board of elders because the church had established a structure by which the elders could have an interim process before it had to come to the church board and before it had to come to the church and business session by which the elders could put the, uh, the, uh, an individual who was in open sin under a period of grace, and that there were some steps that they could take, and taking that person out of office voluntarily, they being willing to step out so it's not a big scene in front of the church, but you could work behind the scenes for him and try to straighten the situation out and correct that whole problem. But now we've come to the point where that period of grace, let's say it was two months, has come to an end. What 
happens next. Okay? Please. I understand that itself. Okay. That's an interesting perspective. I'll come back to that. That, that. That's very interesting. I'll come back to that. Mm -hmm. I would say that So what I want to do now is let's go and let's work through the details. This is going to be a little bit laborious, but it's part of the learning process. How many of you do sit on the church board? Whatever. Past or present, whatever, that's good, okay? So some of you have not sat on the board, and uh, so this discussion probably is a little bit new for you, but that's fine, that's what this is all about. We're trying to understand the process of redemptive discipline and how that works and the steps that we would take. And so what I want to do now is to take you through a detailed step process. This part will be a little laborious, but I want you to understand it because it is important to be done well and done correctly. So stay with me as we go through this, all right? Please. Yeah. I would think you put them on center first. Okay. So that they realize the whole board then, not just the board of elders, small group, the church board has, has said, okay, yeah. He needs it, so he gets a larger group, so he's uh, Okay, so what we said yesterday and, uh, and the day before, Matthew chapter, eight, chapter 18 is a series of appeals, correct? The first appeal is an individual one-on-one -on -one appeal. The second one is a couple, two or three people going and making an appeal. The third one is a, is a larger group making that appeal. And some people wondered, you know, why are we taking and getting an extra step? Because we are trying to make sure that we can do everything redemptively that's possible to do. And we're not trying to bypass a step, but it's in the spirit of what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 18. The two or three, doesn't, Jesus never said that going one-on-one -on -one couldn't be repeated more than once. But the, what the Lord was illustrating is that we slowly enlarge this experience until we've got no choice but to go that direction. Now let me tell you, you skip step one and you skip step two. When you pick up the newspaper one day and you read about the head elder having, uh, uh, having been arrested for pornography and uh, dealing with, uh, with uh, child pornography, you just went right by all that process. Because it's now public and in the news and, and, in, and everything else. The church, one-on-one -on -one is not necessary at this point. The whole world knows about it. And in this day and age, that's almost literal. All right? So there are times when you can't, you can't use that process. But the steps that we're talking about here are when the issue is contained and you're trying to redeem this person before they destroy their life and perhaps the life of their family or whatever any more than they already are by their action. So we have to take the situation as it is and deal with it. But we're assuming at this particular point that, that uh, Mr. B has uh, resisted He's had some steps taken. It's gone through the Board of Elders using the process we've talked about. And now you come to Mr. B and you say, we don't have any choice. But you've made a decision. You don't want to resign. You want to make an issue out of this because you don't think it's bad. 
we have no choice but to take it to the church board. And we will be taking this at the next church board, to the next church. Well, go ahead. You can do it if you want to. It's, it's up to you, but I don't think what I'm doing is so bad. And the fact of the matter is I don't think having three wives would be a bad idea. I mean, I, whatever, because basically what he would be saying, wouldn't he? He's already got a mistress and he's got a wife and he's making that kind of a statement. He's an elder in the church and he's a Sabbath school teacher. You can't have a person like that still teaching Sabbath school or being up front leading out in the church services. So we have to now deal with that. That's it. Exactly. Precisely. Yeah. Okay, all right, here we go. Taking the issue now to the local church board, let's take this to through the process. The first step in this is that the Board of Elders will recommend a disciplinary action to be referred to the church board. In other words, you, you uh, have had the visit, you've told Mr. B that this is not working, this is not appropriate, and so you take your report back to the Board of Elders because that's the context in which you've been working. The Board of Elders agrees that it's time now to take this to the church board, and so the church board takes it up at the next session. Now, because the Board of Elders includes the pastor, the pastor is involved in this process. With me? All right, so I just want to make sure you all understand that. We're not bypassing the pastor here. pastor is involved in this process and is included in it. The pastor is the chair of the board. The process is being brought to the board, so the pastor puts on the agenda this particular item. Discreetly, you put it on there. You don't put it on the agenda and say, we now are bringing to you the fact that uh, on the agenda that uh, Mr. B is having an affair and we need to take this up and so on and so forth. Why not? Pardon me? How would, it, how would it get out? It's just going to the board. Okay. It's printed. It's going to the board. But there's another reason. not a trick question, but it's one that we don't often think about, and which is why I'm asking you. And that's really, that Dan was referring to that as well, okay? So I, I agree, that is an issue, but there's another reason. Yes, it's related. Okay, let me, let me take you down the road that you're not thinking of and realizing it. It's because anybody can attend, any member can attend your church board. Correct? So if you have that on your regular agenda and it's spelled out what you're going to be discussing, anybody comes there and picks up that paper, not after the meeting, but if somebody comes to that regular board meeting and they pick up that agenda, even if you're going to do what you should do, which I'll explain in a moment, it still now is on that agenda and it's out there for everybody. You might have something on there that simply says um, executive session. And that just tells the board that there's going to be something in which you have to go to executive session for, uh, into executive session for, and therefore uh, it's not being spelled out on the agenda. If you felt you had such a large board that you needed to put it on, the, on an agenda, it's like the conference executive committee does. We have an executive session after the regular session because we do have observers that are appointed to come to the conference executive committee at its regular meetings, but we also have a personnel section that's only for the executive committee. 
and those that are authorized to be there. For example, the ministerial director needs to be there and the education supervisor, superintendent needs to be there because we deal with personnel. And that personnel agenda sometimes deals with very personal things related to pastors or to teachers. And that is handled in an executive session when people that are not regular members of that committee that are just observers are asked to leave. The church board can function and does function that same way. I know some churches that actually church members like to be there and do come there and have been informed, educated, that they have the right to be there. And they come and they, they I, I think it's a good idea. I don't have a problem with people being there. I think members should have enough interest in their church, they'd come to the board meeting and know what's going on. They might not have any vote on that board, and it might not be good if there are too many people for them to have voice or your board meeting could be there forever. You understand what I mean by voice? In other words, that they can talk. But they are welcome to come and observe and to learn the process. Young people can learn it as well. Be careful what you expose young people to in terms of the kinds of things that can sometimes take place on the board. Another reason to go into executive session when you talk about those things. But that's the point I want to make here today, both in relationship to the board and in relationship to the business meeting. This is not going to be a regular board meeting like you might have had for the last three years. You've got something unusual that you're bringing to the board. It requires that the church board, I'm in the notes again, goes into executive session. So when you go through your regular agenda, you go through the items, you take care of the, the financial report and the clerk's report and the financial report and you go through the department issues and all those kinds of things and you decide whether or not you need to recommend buying a new boiler to the, to the business meeting or whatever else you need to do, then you push the pause button and anybody who's not a member of that church board, that it doesn't matter whether they're a member or not of the church, if they're not a member of the church board, you push the pause button and say, well, it's time now that we need to go into exec executive session, and unless you're a member of the board, we need to ask you to leave. This is not just um, uh, a whatever. It's a legal issue. Here's the reason it's a legal issue. When you go into executive session, you have a legal right as an organizational leadership team to be able to discuss openly the things that relate to people. You cannot be sued for slander. Let's say, Joe, I, I better quit, quit picking on you. I'll pick on Ray today. Now, if I pick on Joe, he's working my videotape recorder here, and he might get mad and do I'll something with that. Yeah. <laughs> but let's just say for a moment that you and I are all the board here, and... Uh, and what we've got to do is we've got to talk about a problem that Ray has, okay? And in order to have that conversation about him, the only way to have that conversation is to be open and talk about it when it comes to the right time to deal with that. All right, Ray's robbing banks, okay? And we need that to come out. And nobody knows that he's robbing banks, but he came and confessed it, and, and ah, it's getting complicated here. But at any rate, quit, Ray quit robbing banks, okay? And so... At any rate, um, we need to talk about that. But in part of talking about that on the church board, we need to say, you know, I understand that he's been robbing banks. And I, as a matter of fact, I think I saw him walk into a bank and come out with a whole handful of money. And I saw people come out and calling the police and all of that. I think I really did see that. And uh, Ray hears about it. 
And we find out that, you know, there was a guy running around that was just like Ray and looked just like Ray, but it wasn't Ray. But it's gotten all over the place now, and his name has been slandered and, and, and all. And we had people in that board meeting that were having discussion in there that weren't members of the, of the board, and they went out and they started st uh, sharing that story around and gossiping about it. Ray could turn around and sue you the church board members, as individuals, for slander. You understand me? Okay? That's why it's a legal issue. Because if you were in executive session and you had that conversation, then the board could not be sued because you were working within your legal right to have that conversation. Now, the person who might have gone out of that executive session and made those statements to people and when it wasn't actually true and took it outside of the executive session could themselves be sued. People don't realize when they start gossiping and they think they're doing the right thing by letting all the church know about what the board is saying so bad about this person. That's not appropriate. It's not legal. And that person is opening themselves up to legal action if a person decides to do that. Okay? So I'm making a point of it because you need to understand it as church leaders, part of that process. Now, some of you that aren't on the board and may say, I never hope to be on the board, don't want to have to deal with that, but at least you'll know what these issues are. Those of you who are on there will understand it. So it goes to the church board. Now, what happens next? Then uh, Let's go back to Mr. B. Ray, you're off the hook. We found out you weren't really robbing the banks with somebody else looking at you. Um, and so now we're coming to Mr. B and the discussion and the situations come. We've gone into executive session and we have closed the, the, uh, the session to anybody who's not part of the board. The board now needs to have the conversation about Mr. B. For many people, this is going to be the first moment, if we've been doing our work right, the first moment they know anything about this. The ones that do know about it are the elders. They are the ones that have been dealing with this. Let's just say that there are only four elders. So the four elders have been discussing the situation, and they're present at the board right now. There's ten members of the board, and those other six are finding out about it for the first time. Now there's going to be, you know, there's some people who like Mr. B. I mean, Mr. B is one of the elders of the church. He's respected in the church. He's a Sabbath school superintendent. They had no idea, and, and somebody might say, hey, I... I don't know what you, where you're getting your story from, but I'm telling you, I don't believe this at all. And so the elders are having to have a discussion with them and say, look, we've gone and talked to, talked to Mr. B, and he says it's true. And, they, and some, people, you know, some people will actually react this way. They are such close friends with Mr. B, they won't believe you saying that. They honestly won't believe. They think you're making it up, that you're just trying to hurt Mr. B, and you're doing that. The board sometimes reacts that way, right? It's possible you might get into that board and the board just really says, wait a minute, we're not going down this direction, this direction and you want to do what? You want to take this to the church and business session and you want to, do you want to do what? You want to censor him? No, we're not going to let you take that to him. We're going to, you know, let, I'm, I'm, I vote that we table this until the next meeting. You see what I'm saying? That can happen. But let's assume for a moment that we're continuing on with the pro process appropriately. The church does not have the authority to take any action here. You understand that. 
except to recommend to the church and business session. That's all they can do about this. And with the purpose of that is for the board members to come to an understanding and figure out a direction that they want to go through prayer and counseling together. And then they make the decision they want to take an action and a recommendation to the church and business session. Can they then call a business session for the next day? Why not? Okay, it needs to be a period of time. And what's the purpose of the period of time? Okay, it's to keep everybody informed, to make sure that people who want to, uh, that, you know, that might want to be involved in this process, if they think it's a regular business meeting, as many as you already have encountered, it's uh, many people just, you know, they tune out the business meeting, oh, the church is just, you know, whatever, I don't need to be there. And, you know, my favorite TV program's on at that time, and I don't want to be there. And then they find out that, you know, after the business meeting took place, that Mr. B was dismissed from the church. Mr. B was what? How come I didn't know about this was going on? And it's that kind of thing. So you want to make sure the information gets out in an appropriate way. And I'm not talking about spreading the word about Mr. B. You're just simply saying that there is a subject coming up that involves Mr. B specifically, and he has a right to be there, and they have a right to be there as well. But you don't talk about what the details are. It would be two weeks before you can have that business meeting because you are going to announce it for two weeks on church on Sabbath. Two weeks because one Sabbath people might not be there. We assume that people will be there the following Sabbath. Now, I can't help the fact that some of you are snowbirds and you're gone for six months and you don't get back during that time. But I will tell you that unless there's a real urgency, I would encourage a church pastor or a church to delay that process if there's a narrow enough period of time before key leaders of the church that may be gone during the winter or whatever have a chance to get back. Uh, that's just a practical, practical application of that. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's part of the problem. That's part of the difficulty. And that's why delaying that any farther sometimes can't happen. And uh, you, have to, you have to move ahead whether somebody is there or not. You have to proceed with that. Okay, please. And the answer is yes. And the answer is yes. And there are a couple of things that can, can happen in that kind of situation. A board is usually much smaller and easier to contain. It's not hard to find out and figure out whether board members are present for that meeting. Let's just say something comes that is of such a critical nature, and I've had it happen, that you actually need to get the church board together after church service. And you get them together and you say, and you're going to be careful because it's Sabbath. You're going to be careful what you discuss. But what you may discuss is can we get together tonight after Sabbath in order to be able to discuss this urgent matter that's come before the church. And uh, the pastor might do that. The head elder might have brought it to the pastor. Whatever, they may be dealing with it at that capacity. So, yes, that would happen. But you can usually tell if all the board members are there. If they're all there, you don't need two weeks for that because the board members are all there. The issue there is getting the board members present, all right, and being able to deal with that. But there might be an, an unusual situation. It may be that Mr. B says, I want to be able to come before the church board. 
And you want to give him that right to do that, so you might want to delay it until he has time to arrange within a reasonable period of time to meet with the church board if he felt that he needed to be able to make a defense to do that. So the, the period of time here is making sure that we're handling this in a fair way, not rushing to judgment, those kinds of things. Again, this is redemptive discipline. This is not judgmental discipline. We're not trying to see how quickly we can punish him. We're trying to figure out what we can do to save him. And the process is still continuing through this uh, working on the church board and going to business session as well can ask, but can't call it. Correct. Sure. Absolutely. That, that would be uh, absolutely appropriate. So now the church board meets and it schedules the board, the business meeting uh, at a time that seems to be appropriate. Let's just say that the board regularly meets and it came to a regular meeting of the board that meets on Sunday night. And consequently, they say, all right, we need to have a meeting, a business meeting. This is urgent enough. We don't want to delay it anymore. We're not in the middle of vacations or whatever. Our principal leaders are all here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to schedule this meeting for two weeks from now. So two Sundays from now, we're going to have this meeting. That means you've got two Sabbaths in front of you to be able to make that announcement. But it wouldn't just be in the church bulletin that I'd want it to be there. I'd want to be utilizing whatever mass communication process that you utilize in your church in order to get the word out. It might be a physical snail mail letter going out to everybody, letting them know of that. It may be that you use electronic means, that everybody in your church uses email, and you've all got email addresses, and you can communicate that way. It may be that the only way that you can communicate with some people is by phone. It may be that you utilize uh, One Call Now. How many of you know what One Call Now is? It's an electronic call-out service, and it might be that you utilize that to get the word out to all the church members. Whatever you do, you're wanting to communicate and make sure that people have an opportunity to be present at that meeting if they choose to. You also want to schedule that meeting at a time when Mr. B can be there. Unless Mr. B is taking a three-month trip and you can't wait that long. And then you can give him a right to write a letter or something to that effect in order to be able to do that. And there are times when those kinds of things happen. And not a letter to resign, but if he wants to give a letter to explain, you can do that. Now, a couple of cautions here when it comes to uh, this kind of uh, disciplinary situation. Um, a person does have a right to defend themselves before the church. So when the business meeting takes place, there may be other items on the agenda. You are going to call an executive session when those items are done. If Mr. B is asked for an opportunity to be there, you can tell him that he can be there because it is his right, but that he is going to, he, the presentation that he's going to make is not unlimited because we already know that what he's doing is really inappropriate. He's already admitted to the fact that it's inappropriate, even though he thinks it's appropriate. You're going to give him a certain period of time to make an explanation to the church as to why he thinks it's okay to do that if he feels that he needs to do that. But I will tell you, I've, I've um, uh, supervised meetings, business meetings, where individuals are up for uh, heretical beliefs, and what they want to do is they want to get up and stand up there for the next 
45 minutes telling everybody why what they believe is wrong and why what they believe is right. And what you're really trying to identify here is not their excuse for their sin, but whether or not what we believe they are doing is actually what they're doing. In other words, if you're bringing somebody in be to, uh, up before the church and business session and you're talking about censoring them or, or removing their name from church membership, the question is, do they really believe that Sunday is the Sabbath and not the seventh day? Not why they believe that, because we already know that's wrong. They may want to give a five-minute explanation that they've come to the conclusion that the seventh day is not the Sabbath anymore and that they want to believe that and they believe everybody else should believe that Sunday is as well and they want to stay Seventh-day Adventist and get everybody to change and then we turn around and say, all right, you've told us what we need to know. It's true that you really believe this. You've got your reasons. We don't need to know all those reasons. But what you're here to do is to correct us if we, what we think about you and understand about you is incorrect. That's really the purpose of that meeting. Not giving them a platform or a forum to spend an hour spewing about their sin or their belief or whatever the case may be. That's not what that forum is for. And uh, I, does that make sense to you? Sure. You understand what I'm saying? You understand why I'm saying that? Okay? Because... Otherwise, it becomes a platform for them to teach their ideology and try to convince other people to believe what they believe. And that's not what this meeting's all about. Okay? They do not, are not allowed a lawyer. Absolutely. Um, that's not in our stuff, but he's absolutely right. A lawyer is not allowed to be at that meeting. This is not those kinds of sessions. We're not lawyers. We're not trying to do things on that particular aspect, but we are trying to be faithful to the church manual. But the presence of a lawyer has no place at a church business meeting in this kind of environment. We're trying to convince them that they are making a mistake in their lives and to correct that. This is a series of appeals and this is near to the end of the appeals that we are making. At this particular case, we're talking about doing, uh, asking for a vote of censorship and uh, to censor them. The censorship means that, which in this case, because of the fact that the Board of Elders had put him under a period of grace, he'd already stepped out of his offices. Now some of the other people, because it's gone to the church and business session, now they begin to understand what's been going on behind the scenes. They get a bit of an idea of what's happening here. And they say, well, we want to give him, you know, you've been already working with him for three months and he already agrees with this. Um, some churches may say, look, we don't need, why censor him? He's already doing this and he's got no desire to change. Some church members would say, wait a minute, let's go as far as we can that's reasonable. Why don't we do this for three more months? This is that appeal that Jesus said we should make. It's coming from the church family that we all agree it's wrong. And Mr. B, you think it's right, but no, we're saying it's wrong. By the way, part of what's going on here is you are also impacting Mrs. B, correct? She's not a member of your congregation, but you're dealing with the problem and she's observing that and she's realizing that you really do believe what you believe enough to say that to her husband, you need help and you could save your marriage if you would take this, this step. And Mrs. B, instead of some of the calls that I get from time to time, 
This is what's going in on my life. This is what's going on in my church. And the person who's doing such and such is the head elder of the church and the church won't do anything about it, etc., etc., et Or it's my father and he's the head deacon of the church. And, and I mean, I hear that story again and again and again because the church won't stand up for what's right. They've got emotional ties. They've got family ties. They've got whatever. But whatever happened to the biblical ties and the, the ties with Christ that need to be applied in those particular situations. And that what's, that's what God is calling upon us to do. So here we are in the business meeting. They're placed under a period of censor. As ship, Mr. B, is placed under that. And... Uh, and that announcement is made, and, I mean, I should that action is taken. And as you see on the screen here, um, we've gone into that business executive session, and uh, all of it's worked out. Only members are good regular standing at the end. This is a legal thing. Here's where I want to be. The recommendation of the board is read to the church. The church discusses the recommendation. The offending member may make a statement in defense, but is not able to remain in the room for the rest of the discussion. Uh, some people say, well, he has a right to stay there. No, because people are going to be saying things that are, are challenging to say, and all he's done is been there to defend himself against what, what, is, what the action is, and if it's already identified as being true, and he's admitted that it's true, he might have a different reason for it, then now the church needs to have the right to discuss it without him there and intimidating them. So they, he is asked to leave, and the decision is made. He might be sent home. Some people may, some churches may want him to be able to stay there. I don't recommend that. Um, it just puts more tension on it, and everybody's wondering, is he listening at the door, and, and all that kind of stuff. So it would be time for him to go home. The church takes its recommendation, and it might be rejected, um, and they choose to dismiss the issue, or they might decide to go ahead and take the action of censor or removal. Now, you, the church board, might make a recommendation of censor. The church board might bypass that and go straight to removal. I mean, the church business session might go straight to removal, and they have the right to do that. In that setting, you can do it. They don't have to go through a process if they feel that enough process has been done and there's too much at stake. Because sometimes things come up that even the church elders and the church board didn't know, and that, you know, not only that, we... Somebody might say, you know, the truth is this has been going on for a long time and I've been trying to convince this guy and I didn't have any courage to come to the church and say anything and, and you've been more than kind to him. It's time for the church to stand up for what's right or whatever. Uh, say it again. What is the... Okay. Censorship is kind of like a period of grace. Elder Gallimore would like to use the term, and I agree with him, um, that maybe instead of calling censorship, it kind of sounds harsh, and a lot of people don't even understand what it means, uh, call it a period of grace, just like we do for the, period, for, the, for the elders. But what it means, defined from the church manual, if you look at the material I gave you yesterday, it means that the person is no longer holding any offices, if they were already up to that point. We took him out. Uh, the church elders did, and so we don't have that. But he would no longer be able to uh, hold any offices. He cannot vote at a church business meeting. And uh, he is a church member at the moment, but that's all. That's correct. That word sometimes is used as kind of a probationary 
period, exactly. Now, the period of censorship is going to be from 1 to 12 months. The longest can be 12 months, and the shortest would be one month. You want, the, you want it to be the shortest amount of time to accomplish the task that you believe is necessary. In this case, I believe it would be totally inappropriate to censor him for one year. And really, that's ridiculous. Okay? There's no value in doing that. There's nothing that's going to be accomplished by that because you've already had a period of time and things that are going on. And it may be that one or two months is enough to see if you can get his attention and to see if his, if his attention has been gained so that he can turn around and turn away from that. What you want to do is come at the end of that one month or two months, maybe three months, period, and, and he's really taken this seriously, and he's had time to realize, and he's gone for counseling, and he and his wife are getting counseling, and they're trying to work on this, and, and boy, it was hard for a month, but he finally broke it off with a woman, and he's doing all those kinds of things. That's exactly it. That's what we're going for at this particular point. That's exactly it. All right, Dan? Is that your hand up? Oh, okay. Just your pen up in the air. All right. Now, there's a piece we're here we've not yet talked about that I want to come to. Let me just finish it out here at the, for, uh, for this period right now and make sure this part is clear. Let me finish it out, and then I want to bring something to you. The recommendation of the church board is read. It's carried through. If the vote is for removal of membership, this must be then communicated to the offending member. And that needs to be con um, uh, communicated in writing. I've heard of people, I've had people come to me and say, I was this fellowship from the church, but the church never even bothered to tell me. All right, now sometimes that's true and sometimes it's not. But the way to assure that that actually happens is to send a letter, snail mail, and send it registered mail with a return receipt signed by the person that they received that letter. That should be the way it is done. In this day of electronic uh, things and all, there may be other ways of doing it, but that still is the best and most secure way of making sure that that is communicated. Another way that it might be communicated is by doing it in person and bringing that letter to Mr. B. It may be that the head elder and the pastor go and take that letter to Mr. B and hand it to him. Again, the goal here is to try to save Mr. B. So, that process in mind, here's something I want to mention to you. Let's play this back for a moment. Let's go back to the beginning of the scenario. Mr. B is having an affair. He's an elder in the church. He's a Sabbath school superintendent. You know about it. You go and visit him and you talk to him, and remember how it was in the first scenario, he's humble, he's respective, he's glad finally to get this thing out, he says he's going to break it off, and all of that. All right, let's assume for a moment that he does all that. Now what? I'm sorry? Okay, nothing. You gained your brother. Neither still doesn't have time for fruit. 
Okay. Okay. Okay, let's let's add that ingredient in. I, I think you're right, because I know of situations where, yeah, it seemed to be going right for about a month, and then and pretty soon, you know, there were things, and pretty soon it's back in, or it's another person, or, or whatever. But let's just assume a, for a moment that he starts the counseling, he and his wife go to counseling, um, you talk to them three months later, and you find that they're everything is going really well, and uh, Mrs. B says, you know, I'm so excited, I've got a new husband back, and, and I forgive him for the action that he's taken and doing all of that. What yet needs to happen? So what I might do, let's say I'm the pastor, and this issue's come to, to me, and I've gone and I met with him, nobody else knows about it, but she, Mrs. B, called me, and I went and I sat down with Mr. B, and I had the conversation, and he was willing to take all those steps and do all of that. I might, I would probably say, and I've done this, so I, I, I'm not just using a pretend type thing. I would say, you need, to, you need to step out of your offices, because you need time to have, to concentrate. Your marriage is in trouble, and you're, you can't be an elder while your marriage is in trouble. We're not, we're not talking about disfellowshipping you or any of that kind of thing. But right now, you need to take time in your life to put your life back together, put your marriage back together, and you don't have time to be an elder during this time. So step out. You, we'll just tell them that, uh, you know, for personal reasons, which is true, we're not lying, for personal reasons, he's stepping out of his offices, and they're getting on with what needs to be done to get the healing going, and it's taking care of that action. Now, we made a statement two days ago that I'm coming back to here. And that statement was, when God is satisfied, the church is satisfied. All right? In other words, there, there was a day in my ministry that I would have assumed that Mr. B was having an affair and that now I had to take that regardless because Mr. B must be punished for his sin. And the church has a right to know that. And it needs to be something where it is taken care of right now and it is dealt with and the church needs to know about it and he needs to be punished for his sin. And that is a mistake because it's not redemptive discipline, it's judgmental discipline. And its goal is punishment, not redemption. Because if you can redeem that person and you can take him out of that sin without destroying his life and destroying the life of his wife and their kids and affecting the church by dividing the church over their, their love for him and their support for him and all the other kinds of things that happen, you're showing love to him and you're helping him away from that sin and moving it away. Now, there are times that there are consequences for sin that you and I cannot always uh, handle. That woman, for example, that he's been having the affair with, she may decide to go public. That's a consequence of my sin. And I'm going to have to live with that. And, and if that is what she decides to do, and she makes it all public and it gets back to the church, that the, the, uh, I'm not going to, as a pastor, I'm not going to go before the church and say, oh, we just thought we could slide it underneath the thing here, bad us, you know, whatever. No, that's not it. What I'd be saying to them is, 
The reason we did this is because we were redeeming this man. But there's a consequence of his sin that he's now having to face and the fact that it's come out and it's going to affect him for the rest of his life. While he already had stepped out of his office, but maybe in time, let's say in the time went by and, uh, and after a period of time, um, everything's going well, he's learned his lesson, he's actually put back in as an elder, he's taken back. It would be appropriate. It's okay because he's learned, he's growing and, and dealing with that. But then this thing comes to the surface, yeah, then he's going to have to step out because now it's a public thing and the church doesn't know how to handle it. But you know what? The church could actually say, no, we're not going to. Now, there's some another step that I would recommend for this elder along the way. When he's had a period of time to be able to pull this together, he's gone through the counseling, he's uh, shown that he's put this woman aside, he's got none of that type of thing happening, it's not unusual for people to make a decision, maybe at the next evangelistic meeting or whatever, to be rebaptized. Mm -hmm. And he could do that. If this ever came back up, out, after that period of time, it came back up and the church said, well, you didn't do anything. Yes, we did. We took him out of his offices. He was doing this for a period of time. He got counseling. He's, he's been in spiritual renewal, and he made a decision to be rebaptized. He's done everything that was appropriate to do. There's no punishment that he needs. He's been punished enough, and he's made it right with God. He's made it right with his family, and he didn't have to make it right with the church because the church didn't know about it. The church knows about it now. He's making it right with the church. Everything's done that needs to be done. All right? Okay, question here and then over here. Did I see your hand too? No, okay. Oh, I'll come back. Okay. Yeah? You could? In terms of censorship, you mean? Like instead of censorship or just the process itself? Okay. Mm hmm. You've got time to get it together and all that. As long as, I mean, if it's not public, we don't have to. If it's public, yes, we, we have to let them know and, and we might want to use that term, okay? If all those steps have been taken that we've talked about, you're absolutely right. And there's no, there wouldn't be need to do that. And the church would be able to recognize that. The, the removal of, from church membership would have to do if there was some horrific nature to that sin, in which case that would have had to come to them in the first place and, and, and all. So no, there's no, that's exactly the point. See, you're making the point that we're making is that once the, the, the point is stopping the sin, when the sin is stopped, God is satisfied. Therefore, the church is satisfied as well. Right. That's one of those consequences that might come up and that could be real challenging and, uh, and a real difficulty for an individual and the ramifications of that are huge. We see it in the news almost daily it seems like and certainly we can see it in the church and the problems that arrive in the church from time to time and you just pray that it never really happens in the church but it does happen. I'm handing you something here, and then I want to take us down in the last few minutes here, a slightly different track. This is just some of the statements from Ellen White regarding church discipline. I just wanted to add it to your material, put it in your notebook. Uh, I was thinking about having a conversation about it here, and uh, just really don't have the time to do it because I want to go a different direction right now. 
One of the questions I am getting asked quite frequently, and it's already been asked here today, is how do we handle some of these more challenging circumstances that are becoming a reality in our churches today? For example, the LGBT type issues that might arise in our church. How do we handle it if someone is up front in terms of dealing with it? I think uh, um, Dr. Brevin Clayton made an observation yesterday um, that is, is here, and that is my, my words, my interpretation of that, is as we're dealing with these issues, redemption is always the goal. Redemption is always the goal. So it really doesn't matter what the sin is. The fact of the matter is sin needs to be dealt with redemptively. Whatever issue that person may be struggling with in their lives, they need to be confronted in love and help to understand that whatever it is that they're dealing with really is a sin. Um, a couple camp meetings ago, we had a group on campus, um, and their group, their name is coming out. You know who that I'm talking about? Okay. There were four individuals here, and they are doing a marvelous work in relationship to, the, uh, to this issue and helping churches know how to manage this. But the bottom line with them is if you listen to their stories, a lot of it is where they spend a lot of time, time being beat up by the church rather than being helped by the church. And the truth is the church has kind of ignored this issue, and so has the world ignored this issue until the world is starting to take a whole different tack. And that tack now is that, hey, leave these people alone. They can do what they want to. They have a right to do that. All right, I'm willing to give them a, the right to do that. But don't turn around and tell me that I have to turn around and defend them and defend them as though it's not a sin in the church. And that's where the world is trying to go right now, is to say that we can't call sin by its right name. And there are people that are losing their jobs and all of that over these kinds of issues. Now, I'm going to tell you that I don't always agree with this type of actions that some people that call themselves Christians take in regard to this issue. But what I will tell you, and I, I didn't say what I'm talking about there, but what I will tell you is I believe they have the right to do it. Okay? If somebody, I'm just, whatever. For example, if somebody owns a bake shop and they don't want to serve someone because they believe what they're doing is a sin, that they have a right to make that decision out of their conscience. Now, I know that what's coming out of this and where this is coming from is it's, it's in the area of uh, the rights of people you know, if my skin is black and you don't want to give me a cake from your, your store, that's not fair. I agree with that. I agree it's not fair. And that's part of the challenge our world is in today. And that is being black is not a sin. Being involved in homosexuality is a biblical, biblically recognized sin. If a person from their own conscience is taking an action in regard to that, I believe they have the right to do that. Now, I know I'm recording this, but I'm just telling you the truth. I believe they have a right to do it. But that's the challenge this world is having right now in dealing with this. All right, here's... Here's the challenge that we face when we deal with those kinds of issues. There's a reason why Paul makes the statement in Corinthians that we have to treat them as though they are a sinner. 
And, I, and, and in terms, or I know what's the word he uses, not sinner, but Gentile. Gentile. We have to treat them as though they are a Gentile. Now, Gentile, we're going to treat in a couple of different ways. One of them is we're still going to care about them and we're still going to love them. But they're not going to be up front in our churches, leading out in our church. And they're not going to flaunt their sin in our church. And you can flaunt your sin in a lot of different ways. And I'm going to tell you, I believe it would be wrong for that person to be playing the piano. Ellen White is very, the church manual, now I, don't, I haven't looked at this lately to see what it says about music, but you know the, bio, the, the church manual used to say that the things that people would wear would disqualify them from doing special music and from playing the piano and from doing those kinds of things, let alone dealing with this kind of an issue. We say we're trying to love them by letting them play the piano and flaunt their sin in front of us, that's not love. And that's also confusing our young people and our adults in our church when we do that. They don't know what to believe anymore. That church, that person looks like they're as much a part of the church as anybody, whether they've been removed from church membership or not. If they're being allowed to do that, it's making a much bigger statement than, than and otherwise. And I would say I would treat it this way. We have a problem right now with people who are going around teaching a particular doctrine, maybe several different kinds, but one in particular right now, and they insist on coming into our churches on Sabbath morning. They've been removed from church membership. And we've told them, and early on, and one particular individual, we told them, look, you can, you, we're removing you from church membership. You can come to church here if you want to. But if you're going to teach what you're teaching, we're going to tell you that you can no longer come to this church. So this individual came to church and for a while was quiet. But then the word started getting out that he was starting to go to people's homes in that, uh, in that congregation and visit those church members, teaching them what he had been told not to teach. And he was trying to promote that. And finally, he, we told him, you can't come to church here anymore. Now, he goes off and he continues his work and he gets some other gullible people um, to accept that, that truth, and I'm using that word cautiously. Gullible in the sense that when we are not solid in the Word of God and we have gone the direction away from the Word of God, we've shown our gullibility to the attacks of Satan. I don't care how sincere an individual's truth may be, I'm sorry, belief may be, if it's not the truth of the Bible, that shows their own personal gullibility. And Ellen White talked about the fact that people would be deceived at the end of time in the Book Great Controversy, and only those who truly are students of the Bible would be able to, be defend, to defend themselves against that, that heresy. And these individuals go out and they, they, they come into church on Sabbath morning and I talked to one of them. He said, oh, it's coincidence that the pastor doesn't happen to be there that Sabbath. But it's interesting to me that about 99% of the time that's what's happened. So I'm going to believe them that it was coincidence, but they go there on Sabbath morning. They come there when into a Sabbath school class and they start waiting for an opportunity to start sharing what they're sharing. Amen. Okay? And the difficulty with that is what happens is they're starting to undermine God's church. They don't have a right to come and disrupt our churches. They don't have a legal right to do that. Well, they say, I have a Matthew 18 right. No, you don't. Jesus never would allow that to happen. Paul wouldn't have allowed that to happen. And he, Paul, told them to put them out of the church. And we have a legal right, and we do. We have told them, if you come back, we will use legal means in order to let you understand you cannot be there. Now, that sounds really harsh, but that's how bad this has become. 
We've used every step. We literally spent hundreds and thousands of dollars in putting personnel in place to try to help these people understand the truth. And they were unwilling to accept that, that level of truth and to manage that. So whether I'm dealing with homosexuality or some theological heresy or whatever, if that person's continuing to flaunt that sin, we will tell them that you're no longer welcome at the church anymore because your message is disrupting our church and you don't have a right to do that. Now, this is the age we live in. There's a group out there known as the Shepherd's Rods. They've been, I don't know if they've showed up here at camp meeting yet, but they were here last year. They show up in my church several times. Showing up at the church there. They'll come in, they'll listen to the recording and sing. Absolutely. And they can go out on a public place and do that. They, can, they have that right to do that. But I, I would get to a point and say, I'm sorry. I'd have the deacons at the door and I'm say, I'm sorry, you're not welcome. Okay? You're not welcome here. And we have to take those kinds of actions because people are doing it this way. You know what? Um, the, the LGBT community is going to picketing churches and picketing people that don't believe what they're doing. This is where the world is coming to. We are going to be persecuted over these doctrines and taking a stand against these sins. You understand that, right? And whether it's this or anything else that is along that direction, that's where the world is coming. The world is coming to defending sin and bringing it in. Now, I really want to back up here, and I see your hand, but I want to back up here for a moment. And if anybody is watching this video and takes my comments out of context, the context is, for three days we've been talking about redemptive discipline. We've been talking about systematic steps of appealing to people personally with two or three people and as a church and laying, laying out for them what the Bible teaches and appealing to them to turn away from sin and to go a different direction. And the only reason I'm talking about this now is because you've reached the end of that and people have a right to make a decision to do that, to, be, to come and, and to force it upon me and my church on Sabbath morning is not either their spiritual right nor their legal right. And that is, again, in the context of redemptive discipline. So, all right, one comment here, and then we've got to quit. What about I saw your hand, too. Why don't you come and talk to me? I think I need to have a conversation with you, okay? I'll answer your question very simply. A person who has been disfellowshipped from the church and doesn't believe what we believe about salvation and all does not have a right to take, partake in communion. All right. We believe in open communion, but we believe in open communion. As if someone comes to my church who may not believe in the Seventh-day Sabbath, but they are a Christian who believes in Jesus as their Savior and is living to the, up to the light that they have, they have a right to participate in communion and we're happy to have them. But a person who's flaunting their sin in front of the church is a, is a dishonor to God. And for them to participating in communion as though what they're doing is, what they're really saying is, I can partake in communion because Jesus accepts me. And that's not appropriate. That is a misuse of that. And, and if I have to defend that, I very simply, I go to 1 Corinthians 11 and I make it abundantly clear that 1 Corinthians 11 says that you can take part unworthily and, and that's not appropriate. I need to smile, don't I? Come talk to me. All right. I can see this could be quite broad. Please, last comment. 
you're getting a little bit more complicated, but I'm going to make a simple statement in regard to that. Yes. And that simple statement is this. We've always believed it was wrong. We've always believed it was inappropriate for a Seventh-day Adventist minister to marry two individuals who are unequally yoked. And we believe that if a for a Seventh-day Adventist pastor to marry a Seventh-day Adventist woman to a Roman Catholic man or a Baptist man or a non-believing man of any kind is inappropriate and unethical. Need I say any more? Unequally yoked because we're dealing with a problem. That's a, it's, it all fits in with the same category. And in a sense, we don't have to take a, a new action because the truth of the matter is that we've always believed it was wrong. And we don't have to take new action. And the challenge, of course, might come in relationship to what kind of legal actions may it take. But so far, the courts have not even wanted to get into that situation and touch that. Because they know when they start crossing over into the religious... Uh, uh, authority of a local church that they are crossing that line and they know that line is not defensible yet. It may be in the Supreme Court sometime and that's, that's where we're headed with this, but that's another class in another place. Thank you very much for your patience, your question. Now, here what I want you to do today as you leave. I have some cards here and what I'd like you to do is bring these tomorrow if you want to. It's up to you. Now, tomorrow our focus is going to be on, um, on dealing with conflict in, in relationship to uh, manage, conflict management in relationship to these, uh, these kinds of issues and the conflict that you can build and how to manage that in the local church. But you may have some scenarios that you would like to talk about, and uh, I'd like to... Even if we don't talk about them here, I'd like to hear about some real-world uh, situations that you've had to deal with. Uh, you can put yours down that you're dealing with there to keep it before me, and maybe there's some others. And we might get a chance to talk about some of these because I'd like to help you through with them. So that's what these cards are for, and I'll pass them around here. Take one or whatever and pass them around. Yeah, you can give it to me later, today, or tomorrow, whatever you choose to do. And, uh, yeah, let's have a closing prayer, then we'll turn it off. All right, let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, as we've talked about today, and we're getting into the real world that we live in, a very challenging world. We know that's changing around us so quickly, so fast. And the world uh, is going after the ways of Satan. He is the father of lies, and he is the one who authors these issues that are coming before us turning back, turning the world away from God, turning the world away from you and from the truth of your word. We pray that you'll help us as we seek to protect the church, stand up as shepherds, as members for what is right and what is clearly taught in your word. We pray for those that are struggling with sin as we all are and pray that you will help us to help others find in Jesus the salvation and the strength they need to be able to resist sin and to overcome it. As we go our ways today, go with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.